Hello and welcome to The Breakdown, your short, sweet, and digestible guide to public policy issues facing the country today. I'm your host, Brian Phillips, with the Texas Public Policy Foundation. For more information on today's topic and just about any issue that you might read or tweet or post or hear about anywhere, check us out online at texaspolicy.com. Today we're going to break down an issue that is unfortunately and heartbreakingly a persistent problem in Texas. And today we're talking about foster care reform. To help us break down this issue is Andrew Brown, who is the Distinguished Senior Fellow of Child and Family Policy at TPPF. Welcome to The Breakdown, Andrew. Thanks, Brian. Good to be with you. But he's also a recovering lawyer, and uh, although he's not the ambulance-chasing kind, he is an attorney, and he represented children in the welfare system. So he's got these personal roots uh, and connection to this issue you know, right at the ground level in defending and, and representing kids in the foster care system. So, Andrew, I kind of want to first start with that question. Um, you know, really, what got you into pursuing that kind of um, that kind of track? I get this question a lot when I tell people what I do, and usually it's more in the context of, wow, why would you want to be involved with that? It seems so hard. And yes, it is. It's a hard field to be involved with. You're seeing um, some of the most heartbreaking things that can happen to children and families on a fairly regular basis. But it's also incredibly rewarding because you get to see the good that comes out of some of this mess and you get to see really beautiful things happening in communities where families are restored and kids are united with families through adoption and all of the different positive outcomes that can come of the heartbreak um, and the reality that lead to us needing a child welfare system. For me, this really is a calling in the truest sense of the word. It wasn't something I ever dreamed of doing. It wasn't something I ever intended to do with my life. It was something that as a person of faith, I felt like God called me into when I was in law school. Um, Just a very brief story of how that happened. I had family members who went through an overseas adoption that um, really had a lot of problems. It went south on them in a heartbreaking way. And I knew nothing about how adoption or foster care or any of that worked. Um, but I knew I needed to write a paper on international law. And so I used what happened to them as a case study. And that paper got published and got read by some of the right people who called me up and encouraged me to get involved in this field. Um, and it was some of those experiences that, again, as a person of faith, I was saying to myself, okay, this is not a normal thing. This doesn't just happen. I'm, I'm being told something right now. So I enrolled mm-hmm. in family law courses. Um, the law school that I went to had a child advocacy clinic. And this is where I think the course of my life or my professional life at least really changed was the first case that I ever handled as this baby attorney in training through this clinic. I represented kids who were going through a parental termination trial and I made the recommendation, these were the first words I ever said in a real live courtroom, that a judge terminate a mother's rights to her kids when the mom was standing right next to me in front of the judge. And I've never heard a human being cry like that in my life. And it was that moment that I go back to, and it really changed the way I thought and viewed the system. And no longer was this, oh, this is just a bad parent. This is a monstrous parent who doesn't care anything about their kids. No, this was a mom who loved her kids deeply and who had a lot of problems. 
and who didn't have the support that she needed from a local community to overcome those problems. And so things just snowballed until it got past the point of no return. And it was that moment where I realized, yes, this mother failed in so many ways, but we as a society and we specifically as a child welfare system failed this family. Uh, mm-hmm. And I don't think a day goes by where I don't think about that family specifically in my work and how could we have done something different to keep that family together and to help that mom be the mom that she wanted to be. Well, that, that makes a lot of sense in terms of uh, what we're going to get into a little bit later. I do want to talk about uh, the public policy agenda that you have put forward. Uh, Andrew, in addition uh, to being one of our senior fellows, is kind of the muscle behind uh, our Right for Families campaign agenda, which is the, the campaign that, that Andrew heads up and then put together to, uh, a public policy legislative agenda that, um, you know, in, in a number of ways helps protect the rights of parents um, in proceedings like that and, and just in general in society and help support them as well. So we'll get into that in a, in a little bit. Um, you know, and you said, you know, you said you, you, you prayed to the Lord during, um, during uh, law school, you know, most of the time people are just praying, you know, why have you forsaken <laughs> me uh, in this wasteland? But it sounds like you were one I of the lucky ones. I said that prayer a lot too. <laughs> you know, admittedly, not a lot of whole, not a lot of people really understand, um, you know, the foster care system. Not a lot of people have a lot of experience with it. Um, although I think more and more people are getting into adoption. So that is certainly a good thing. Can you just give us kind of a brief overview um, of, you know, the, the people uh, on one side, the folks who are looking to be foster parents, uh, and then on the other side, kids who are, who are getting into the foster system and how the system is supposed to work, like how the system is supposed to match up uh, parents who are looking to adopt with kids who are, who are looking for opportunity. One of the things I think we lose sight of, and it's an important principle that we need to remember is the purpose of foster care is to reunite families. That is our stated priority is whenever a child enters the system, our first priority is to reunite that child with their biological family that they were removed from. And it makes sense when you look at the data because about 75% of the kids who enter foster care in Texas enter because of neglect, not physical abuse, not sexual abuse. It's neglect. Now that can be a result of a variety of factors. Poverty plays a massive role in kids entering the system. Social isolation plays a massive role. Obviously, substance use disorders plays a massive role in kids entering the system for neglect. There are problems that families are experiencing that are not insurmountable, but they need the right supports to help them through. And so our goal is to provide those supports. Now, we're not always good at it, is the story that I told about that mother um, from my law school days perfectly illustrates. Um, So for foster families, people who are interested in foster care, I think coming in with those clear eyes of realizing the first priority for this kid is to be reunited with their biological family. And you're there to provide temporary care for the child. um, And hopefully if you can do it right, provide support for that family um, and mentor them through the struggles that they're having. Now that doesn't always work out. And that's why we have foster to adopt programs. Um, Mm -hmm. In those circumstances, I think it's critical that we always ensure, and even if it's a temporary foster placement, we always ensure that we're finding the right family for the child and not the other way around. And too often in my career, I've seen 
a misunderstanding of we're trying to find the right child for a family, uh, where it puts the emphasis on the family's needs rather than the child's needs. And we need to rethink that. And we need to be mindful, especially folks who are wanting to get involved in foster care or adoption is we're trying to find the right family for this child. And that might require you to make a lot of sacrifices and a lot and do a lot of work because the child has experienced some pretty hard things in their lives and might have, um, and definitely does have trauma um, because of that, that will impact certain aspects of their behavior. Um, so that really kind of in a nutshell is how it's supposed to work. One, we got to reunify that child with their family. If we fail that, then it's finding the right family for that child to be adopted into who can best meet and support their needs and to do all of that as quickly as possible. Right. I think, I think people forget about that side of it as well, which is, it's not just about, you know, um, kids who are lost and are looking for, you know, stable families to foster them. But, you know, there is a, the other side of it, which is there are parents who have struggled for, you know, whatever reason. And as you say, you know, what we're actually looking for is not necessarily uh, for the kids to, you know, be adopted by better parents in some way or and, and you know, and, and that's the end of the story. The, 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 you know, the way we would prefer this thing to end is for the uh, is for the biological parents uh, to get rehabilitation or to, you know, get back on track so that they can be with their biological children. Is that yeah, right? absolutely. And I have friends and acquaintances that often call me up and ask for advice on I'm interested in foster care. And the first thing I say is be prepared and be committed to supporting the child's family. Do whatever you can mm-hmm. to get into the mess of their lives and show them how to be the parents that they want to be for their kids. And it is going to be hard. It is going to be messy. You are going to be taxed emotionally and frustrated more than you've ever been in your entire life. But your role first and foremost is to support that family and help them come back together. And the folks that I know who have approached it that way and have done it, they've had beautiful, beautiful experiences. You know, I know of families who, you know, parents have fought foster parents, fostered the child and supported the family and the kid went back home. They were reunified. They spend holidays together. Now they're an, ex- they view each other as an ex- family. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there are, again, really amazing things that can happen in these um, hard situations. So for folks who aren't familiar with this, I mean, you know, every government system, you know, has problems, has accountability problems, has transparency problems, all of that. But it seems in some cases, particularly because we're dealing with children and particularly when the situations are really bad, it's very heartbreaking. You know, the, you, you, you do see these, these headlines and you do see these news stories um, that are just shocking in some cases. And it feels like Texas um, has had about as bad a system as most in the country. And so, you know, we have to address that. We can't just jump into, you know, the reforms and things like that that you support. We have to talk a little bit about Texas's unique situation in that it feels like it has been going on much more, at least a decade or more, that the courts have have been issuing reports. Um, you know, watchdog groups have been issuing reports uh, really just blasting. I mean, we're not talking about tweaking around the edges and making sure, you know, this s- small percentage of kids is, you know, is taken care of. It really feels like there is a real systemic 
issue in Texas um, when you have, you know, kids sleeping in cots and, you know, in agency rooms and you find out that, you know, they've shipped some kids off to different states and they're living in squalor um, once they've investigated what's going on there. Is Texas is Texas one of the worst? I mean, what's been going on the last decade that we just can't seem to to get our act? Yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't say that we're one of the worst, but we're pretty bad and have been historically and we're doing a lot of work to change that and a lot of improvements are being made, but to give folks the proper context in 2011, um, the state of Texas was sued in federal court on behalf of a class of kids in the foster care system. And the class was represented by kids who are what we call in permanent managing conservatorship, meaning these are kids who have had their parental rights terminated um, and they are going to grow up in the foster care system. They are permanently mm. in the care of the state of Texas. And this lawsuit really revolved around the conditions that those children faced in the system. And the allegation was that the conditions were so bad and there was such systemic problems within the state run foster care system that we were actually violating these children's constitutional rights. And that lawsuit was filed in 2011. Litigation went on for several years. In 2015, the federal judge issued her final order in that case, basically her verdict, and said, yes, the Texas foster care system is so bad that it is routinely violating the constitutional rights of the children in its care. And one of the most damning things from her opinion was she said kids who enter the Texas foster care system routinely exit worse off um, than they were when they entered. And that's a pretty damning thing to say about a foster care system that exists to protect kids from harm, that the system itself is actually causing them more harm than they, if they had been left where they were. Right. And right. so when that final verdict was entered in 2015, there were appeals and various things got struck out. But ultimately in 2015, you essentially had the remedial orders, the things that the court was ordering the state of Texas to do to fix the problems that it had been identified. And so since 2015, the state has been working to address those deficiencies. Now, the legislature has really gone to bat. Um, Governor Abbott as well has really gone to bat to make sure that we have the right resources given to the agency and the right reforms in place. The first reform, and I would say this is the best thing that's been done, is to actually shift the focus of our foster care system. We moved away from a centralized government-run bureaucracy based in Austin toward a community-driven system. So essentially, when we call that reform community-based care, um, so essentially what it does in a nutshell is it breaks the state up into about 17, 18 regions. And each one of those regions is led by a local nonprofit organization that has a contract with the state and they have accountability metrics. They are supervised by the state, but those locally based nonprofits are the one that are actually running the system in their region. And you have a lot more flexibility and a lot more innovation and a lot more community buy-in because now it's not a distant bureaucracy that's taking care of these kids. It's the communities themselves that are taking care of their own. Um, and there's this motivation to do it right. Um, it's a, that's a slow rollout process. We've got four regions of the mm -hmm. state that are operating under that new model. 
But what we're seeing in those regions are the numbers are actually getting better. They're outperforming the old state-run bureaucracy um, in just a few short years of implementing this new program called community-based mm-hmm. care. Um, so I think that is probably one of the best things to have come out of the lawsuit. However, the response to the remedial orders has been painfully slow, and the department itself, the Department of Family and Protective Services, um, has been really struggling to meet those mm-hmm. requirements and pretty regularly gets hammered by the judge for um, failing to live up to her requirements. Now, there's a couple different things go- going on at play here. One, I do think that the bureaucracy is very, very slow to change and uh, that they are really struggling to understand how to do things right. On the other hand, having watched many of these hearings, I think there are areas where the judge has overstepped and um, has created a more punitive culture against the state, which, I mean, given mm-hmm. everything that the state had done and how bad the system was, I understand it. At the same time, there's a time to shift from being punitive to being supportive of how can we make right. these changes happen. Um, and I don't think we've made that change quite yet at the court level. Um, I often joke that this judge is the only person in the world that can make me feel bad for DFPS. Um, because I mean, she is very, very hard on them, sometimes justifiably so, sometimes unjustifiably so. So you've hit on a couple things um, I want to jump into just real quick while I have a couple yeah. minutes left. Um, and that's a really good segue into kind of our, our you know, positive policy reforms. And you, you outlined certainly community-based care, which we've made some progress on in the last two or three years, certainly the last couple of sessions. You've got a agenda uh, that you've put out for your Right for Families campaign. Um, our listeners can access that at texaspolicy.com slash LAA. That's for our Liberty Action Agenda. So uh, just look at the the Right for Families campaign link there uh, at texaspolicy.com slash LAA. You outline expanding community-based care, that we've had some progress there. Uh, and we want to continue to, to expand uh, community-based care there. Um, but another big um, approach is, you know, protecting parental rights. And one of the things that we're seeing some horror stories in um, is people being put on a, you know, you call it the central registry. I guess it's in a registry of people who are suspected for abusing their children, which of course is horrific if you are not, in fact, if you in fact have not abused your children. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and, and maybe a couple of the other reforms that you're looking at that would protect parental rights? Yeah, absolutely. And on the central registry issue, uh, Texas, like every state, in the country, this is a federal mandate, has a database that tracks individuals who have abused or neglected children. And that database is used uh, both for statistical analysis purposes, basically just research, um, but it's also used for background checks. So certain types of employment or volunteer positions, I figure most people listening to this podcast will have filled out a background check to volunteer at their kid's school or at their church. More part of that background mm-hmm. check, if you're volunteering with kids, is a central registry check. We want to make sure that people who are around kids a lot don't have a history of harming kids. It's a well-intentioned thing. However, mm-hmm. in order to get on the registry, all that it takes is an administrative decision by an investigator to get on the registry. An investigator says, okay, I think there's reason to believe that this person abused or neglected this child. What it doesn't require is a court determination. And so in each one of these cases, you will have 
essentially a trial that occurs and a judge will issue an order saying, yes, they did or no, they didn't. Um, but you're already on the registry before that. And what's really shocking to me and should be shocking to the listeners is even if a judge says, no, you are for all intents and purposes, innocent of this allegation of abuse or neglect, that does not automatically require you to be removed from the registry. The department can keep you listed on the registry in spite of a judge finding you innocent of what you were accused of. And is it impossible to get off the registry once they've made that? It's not impossible, but it's very hard because you're essentially only able to appeal to the department itself, the people who are keeping you on the registry. So one of the reforms you're pushing there is to ensure that a guilty verdict is registered uh, before someone is put on the registry. Um, that way you've got you know some level of due process so that you're not stuck having to fight for years to try and, and you know, even though you've been proven, you know, not proven innocent, but even though a judge has said you're innocent, um, you're still not having to fight to get your name exactly. off there. Um, yeah. So and the last one, we've got just, a, just one minute left. I do want to get into this issue of hidden foster care. Um, that people need to to be aware of, especially if they're having to deal with CPS. Can you talk about what you what you mean when you talk about hidden foster yeah, care? Yeah, with hidden foster care, we talk about the formal foster care system has about 50,000 kids uh, in it at any given time in Texas. Uh, those kids have been removed through a judicial process. There's also a system whereby CPS can either remove a child and place them with family or friends or put a family under supervision through what they call a voluntary agreement or a service plan. Um, Essentially, this is used in cases where they may not have enough evidence to go to a removal or they feel like they just need to do a few little things uh, to prevent removal. However, the way this is presented to the family is they say this is voluntary. However, when you read the fine print, it says well, if you don't do what we say, then we're going to go to court and remove your kids anyway. Um, So there's a measure of coercion involved there. And families can stay under these um, informal arrangements for um, an indeterminate period of time. Again, we come back to this idea of due process. The state should not be interfering with families and should not be interfering with children without due process of law and without very stringent procedures um, to go through that because it's one of the most harmful things the state can do to its citizens is remove your child from your home. And we need to be very, very careful when we take those steps and it should not be taken lightly. Well, Andrew, this is all the time we have for this episode. Thanks so much for being on and helping us break down this issue. Thank you, Brian. Again, you can find uh, you can find Andrew, you can find his research, you can find his campaign agenda uh, all at the website texaspolicy.com. We encourage you to go there uh, and find out more about what we can do to, to make some headway on this issue. Uh, that's all for now, and we'll speak next time.